Hello everybody, welcome back to an episode of Views from the Arch. I am your lovely host as always, Delvon, and today we're talking about the presidential election. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? You've got David Duke just joined, a bigot, a racist a problem. Would you, I'm not looking would you for repudiate David Duke? Sure. Uh, David Duke and robocalls are out again. The white supremacist movement supporting you. Uh, do you have any know. words for that? Well, I disavow. David Duke endorsed me? Okay. All right. I disavow. Okay. When we looked at it and looked at the question, I disavowed David Duke. So I disavowed David Duke all weekend long on Facebook, on Twitter, and mm-hmm. obviously it's never enough. Mm-hmm. Trump's refusal to condemn uh, just distance himself from white supremacists. The Anti-Defamation League is already out there asking the president to clarify why he didn't condemn white supremacists. So are you prepared right now to make a clear and unequivocal statement renouncing the support of all white supremacists? Of course I am. Of course I am. When Chris joined, we had a news conference and they asked me the exact same question. I said, I disavow. I disavowed then. I disavowed today on ABC with George Stephanopoulos. I disavowed again. Uh, David Duke is a bad person who I disavowed on numerous occasions over the years. I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I, it. Do it. Say it. I totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. Ultimately, he got to the Ku Klux Klan, which obviously I'm going to disavow. I reject David Duke. Rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the uh, KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. David Duke is saying to his supporters and followers, vote for Donald Trump. White supremacists are saying, vote. do you want those votes? No, I don't want them, and I don't want him to say it. And you I don't want, want the supporters? No, I don't want anything. I, what do you think of white supremacists, by the way? I don't like any group of hate. David Duke. And that was just a small clip of a compilation video, which I will add into the description box below from YouTube, of President Trump disavowing and uh, not standing by any of the white supremacists or any of their organizations. There are, are a plethora of these videos. I promised a lot of viewers I'd provide that in the next podcast. A lot of people didn't believe me that that existed, and a simple Google search would have told you that I was correct, and a simple YouTube search would have told you I was correct, but I am always happy to oblige. So before we started our program today, I really just wanted to go ahead and get that in there. So let's first take a message from our sponsors because we have a lot to talk about. Thank you. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. I know you know me, but I'm going to tell you again, I'm your phenomenal host, Delvon. Let's talk about somebody. Let's talk about Anchor. Listen, I use Anchor for Views from the Arch. I've had a previous podcast. I used Anchor on that podcast. I think Anchor is a phenomenal website to use if you're a starting podcaster and you want to get your voice out there. They will help you. They will push your podcast out to places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I think if you're an individual who wants to start a podcast, please consider using Anchor. Anchor is a great website. Simple, easy, and quick to use. Okay, guys, let's go and get right into it. So I'm going to say that right off the bat, I think that the debate was a lot uh, better formatted. I think that Uh, Trump and Biden held themselves to a way higher standard. Um, I think that Trump was way more, excuse me, way more presidential than uh, in the past debate. I think I've actually, that's actually the most presidential I've seen him be in like four years. Uh, So, you know, that was always nice. 
Um, they broke it down into a couple major topics. It was a little hard to kind of, I think, personally keep up with. They were kind of just segueing into one topic after another, which, you know, is, is fine. But um, I, I liked it better, the format and the vice presidential debate where they would say, OK, our next topic. That way, if you were following, you're like, OK, now we're on this. Now we're on that. But, you know, there were some things that were said. I think tonight, uh, I think that the in these debates, there were a lot of things that were said. I don't think that really either either candidate delivered any knockout punches or any uh, any good landings. Um, I think they both, you know, kind of say what they felt. And I, I think that was that. Um, the I know the first major topic they got to, though, was COVID. And Trump highlighted the effectiveness of closing the economy, which you have to give him credit for. He did close one of the um, largest economies in the world and rather quickly. Um, now, of course, you know, Biden did have pushback saying, well, we could have done better. We uh, should have had a better plan. You should have planned better. Uh, and then Biden segued into stating he has a plan, um, but that Trump's administration does. Although Biden never really outlined what his plan was. I don't think he has a plan. Um, his plan's probably similar to Trump's plan, which is, you know, Trump's initial plan was we need to keep everybody inside. And then, you know, uh, Trump made a lot of good points. Um, he did make good points, which was really odd, actually, in this debate. Trump actually made a lot of really good points. I mean, so did but Biden actually made good points, too. He had less Biden-y gaffes, but <laughs> Trump was less Trump when he spoke. And I think it really shown, uh, really kind of shown and came through. You know, Trump made a point when he said, look, you know, we can't just stay in our basements. You know, uh, su if you look at the numbers, suicides are up. Um, you know, domestic assault calls relative to drinking uh, by law enforcement are up. Uh, people are getting depressed. Weight, people are gaining a lot of weight. You know, he's like a lot of these things from the CDC that are coming out relative, you know, basically to the COVID, people being aside due to COVID. He's like, you know, Trump's like, we have to open up. We have to do something. He's like, we can't just be locked away in our homes for the next year, year and a half. And, um, you know, a pretty big thing I also like about uh, Trump's administration is that they didn't go for total governing control. You know, a, a lot of the states have kind of gone for a total control over their uh, populations by more authoritarian uh, more authoritarian um, means, you know, arresting people for, you know, custodial arrest for not wearing your mask, imposing fines, you know, instead of allowing people just to be basically Americans. I mean, as an American, I think that if you want to risk getting sick, then that's your prerogative. If you want to wear a mask, that's your prerogative. I don't think that the masks are going to save you either way. Um, the what they're calling the most deadly and most contagious pandemic in the 21st century will not be stopped by a small cloth mask. It just won't. And we need to all kind of accept that. Um, but if you wish to wear a mask, I think you should. If you wish to not, I think you shouldn't. Uh, but if you don't wear a mask, be advised. Uh, somebody might think you're an asshole because if you're sick, you're going to be spreading around COVID. Additionally, if you get sick, I don't want to hear any complaining because you didn't take the steps to protect yourself. So that's kind of how I feel about the whole COVID thing. But I don't think that the federal government needs to be in the business of um, imposing its will on its citizens relative to authoritative uh, measures to ensure our quote-unquote safety. Because it's always for our quote-unquote safety. But when it comes to giving that power back to the people, the government has proven throughout history to be very slow, 
methodical and usually unwilling to do so. Now, Biden did mention the reopening of businesses and how Trump was shamed by the New England Journal, which is a which actually is a very credible journal about his handling over the pandemic. However, if we're going to be fair, the Obama administration was also shamed and slammed by their handling of the swine flu, not only by the CDC, not only by the Southern Poverty Law Center, not only by the Census Bureau, not only by the Washington Journal and Post, not only by the Harvard Journal, but they're also slammed by the New England Journal. So when Biden said this is the first time, that was actually a lie. The New England Journal slammed the Obama administration for not taking measures. And it wasn't the fact that, listen, so like I said before, it's like a game of pandemic. It's only scary because it's killing people. The, the swine flu to me was far more terrifying because at the height of it, you had several million people that were sick. Your hospitals were overran and shutting down and the doctors didn't know what to do. They were just hoping people wouldn't die, right? They were hoping people wouldn't start dying. It's kind of like you're playing pandemic and you infected the whole world, but you know, you go to try to mutate into heart attack and you don't have enough DNA points. Well, that's kind of what happened with swine flu. Like the guy playing the game basically won, but he couldn't kill people. So we won. We know we reached the vaccine. We, we reached the, we reached our immunity, our cure, right? Swine flu is different. He's like, well, I'm gonna start off with heart attack and coughing, and <laughs> we'll go from there. Well, okay, that's fine. But we noticed your disease a lot quicker. We've made response times to your disease a lot easier, and those responses are stay in your house, social distance, wear your mask. If you're sick, you go to the hospital, be on a ventilator, you get medications, right? We've We've had a quicker, more rapid response, but people are still dying. And it's going to undoubtedly, it's going to kill a certain demographic of people because whenever there's a, you know, an illness that's very serious and does target a certain group of people, it will undoubtedly kill that group of people. And I think that's terrible However, I don't think that's the Trump administration's fault. I think it's the, I don't think it's anybody's fault. First of all, I think some people are just old and they have weaker immune systems because they're elderly. Um, We also need to realize as Americans, we're out of shape and we're not healthy. We are not a healthy population of people. And we need to come to the realization that our own mortality is somewhat in our hands. If you don't eat right, if you're not exercising, if you don't see your doctor, if you aren't managing, let's say you do have immune deficiency disorders and you're not managing it appropriately. Well, when these things come down the pipeline and they will happen again in our societies, then don't expect to be in the good population of people who are just going to get the sniffles and move about their day. No, you're going to get ill and very much so. If you have heart failure because you're overweight and and the arteries around your walls and arteries around your heart are collapsing, then that's not the fault of the president, that's not the fault of your doctor, it's not the fault of me, that's your fault. You're you're obesely overweight. I can't protect you because your body can't protect you, which is ultimately what we're having an issue with. We're starting, we're not starting, we're observing in horror the fragility, the fragility of our own humanity and how fragile the human body actually is. The human body is incredibly durable, you know, if we're talking about the skeleton, right? People can fall from two stories and, you know, get up, dust it off, and they're walking away, right? People get hit by buses and they dust it off and they're like, I need to go to the hospital. I, I think I might have fractured my arm, but I'm fine, right? Their brains are intact. You know, all their organs are fine. But a disease that attacks your system, that attacks your body, 
if you're not healthy, if you're not exercising, if you're not internally healthy, then your mortality will be exposed because this might kill you or might send you to the hospital. So I actually did take a uh, an issue with um, kind of what uh, Biden had said there. And Trump did capitalize in the uh, during the debate that the, that the Biden, not Biden administration, I'm sorry, the Obama administration had failed dramatically uh, on the responses to the swine flu. Um, <laughs> I thought that Biden was a bit overdramatic uh, with the COVID. And he was basically saying, you know, because Trump had said, well, look, we've learned to live with it. And Biden was like, no, we learned to die with it. And I'm like, okay, calm down. It It's literally to a less than 1% fatality rate. I need you to calm down. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, the one thing, though, that Trump did segue into during COVID was dying businesses. Um, and I agree. I think that a lot of small businesses are dying. The government isn't doing its job in protecting those small businesses. And I do... Uh, agree that we should let those businesses operate and open and remain so because if not all you're going to be left with is Walmart and Target no one wants that and for you who aren't in the Midwest I'm sure there's Walmarts everywhere but I don't know if there's Targets everywhere Piggly Wiggly that's a that's a major store in the south I don't know about on the coast though I don't know what you guys have on the coastlines I'm sorry but whatever major organizations you have where you live you have to be weary of your small business closing around them and only leaving those businesses. So I did agree with Trump. We should be reopening businesses, restaurants, bars. We should be reopening intelligently, right? Wear your mask when you're in public. Wear your mask when you're engaging with other people. If you're sick or if you have a fever or if you've been coughing, then that's your responsibility as an adult to maybe say, hey, I probably shouldn't go out today, right? Um, I'm kind of sick. Uh, it could be COVID. Let me go get a test. Um, Joe Biden did say we should do rapid testing. Uh, it was actually proven not only by the CDC, but by the Washington Post that our economy and our productions aren't set up to test every American. We can't test every American. Right. And our medical our medical field can't do that. That's not how the the American medical system is extremely fragile. Right. It's extremely fragile. It's it's basically at the brink of collapsing, in my personal opinion, every day. I mean, if you ever walked into an ER it looks like a zoo where all the animals just got out. You have, I mean, there's all types of things going on in there. Like, so our system is not really meant to handle large scale things like this, especially when it comes to testing. I mean, just to get blood work back takes like five days, right? I can only imagine what would happen if you started sending off every, you know, every sample to, to a laboratory to get tested for COVID. But it's neither here nor there. They did segue, though, into um, inter, uh, uh, international affairs. And I got to say, Biden kind of sounded like a war hawk. Um, Trump made some statements that, you know, he plans to keep us out of wars. He plans to keep us in these peace agreements. He plans to keep us from um, getting involved in other people's issues. And Biden made the statement uh, where he said, you know, any country that meddles in the medals and affairs with uh, the medals with us or in our affairs will be dealt with because it interferes with our sovereignty. Well, to me, that sounds like typical democratic war hawk because I have to ask, but what does that mean? Does that mean if someone goes to destabilize the government of, you know, the Baltic States, do we need to get involved in that? Is that really our war to fight? I mean, the EU has armies, they have their own militaries, they have their own countries. Is that not their war to fight? 
you know, if someone goes to topple a leader we like in the Middle East, do we really need to get into a war for that? You know, at what point do we say, look, I understand you guys are having problems. Uh, that's your problems, right? Uh, unless there's like some type of humanitarian crisis where we're executing children by in broad daylight on TV, I don't think we really need to be getting involved in everybody's nonsense. We have our own nonsense. We can really keep our nonsense together, let alone getting involved in everybody else. Um, the other thing I focused on, which really irritated me, which uh, Biden straight up lied about pay for play. Um, Biden said he never took money from a foreign government, which is absolutely not true. And Biden said that he never um, that he never did any money, you know, discussions during the Obama administration. That's extremely untrue. There's an entire video. I was going to play it, but I chose not to. But there's an entire video. You can look it up on YouTube where um, Biden, I believe, is in Ukraine. And he basically told them that they're going to fire a certain prosecutor because the prosecutor was looking in to Joe Biden's son and his dealings in the Ukraine. And it was all over aid money. We were sending Ukrainians a billion dollars in aid money. And Joe Biden said, look, and I believe it's Ukraine. I, if I'm if I stand corrected, then somebody please feel free to email me and I'll put out a correction into this. I'm, I'm almost positive it's Ukraine. And. He's on video and he goes, well, I told them they can either fire the prosecutor or they don't get the money. But in two hours, I'm getting on Air Force One. And he said that he walked out to the plane before he walked out to the plane that they had fired that prosecutor. That's literally quo. That is literally, I mean, it, it was such a blatant lie. And the moderator really annoyed me. I'm like, how do you not, how do you not one, know that? And how do you not two, catch that? And I expected Trump to catch it. And Trump did kind of catch it. He kind of was like, oh, that, that, that's nonsense. That's absolutely not true. But they didn't really linger on for too long. But I listened. I heard that. And I was like, that's ridiculous. You just straight up lied to like everybody. Um, you know, they, they, Biden started talking about uh, the middle class and how the middle class is in trouble and how um, basically the Trump tax plan is hurting the middle class. You know, I do agree with Biden on one thing. The middle class was in trouble. Come the end of the Obama administration, our middle class has shrank below our poverty, the, the amount of poverty uh, we have in this country. And the one thing that we know about third world nations is that if your poverty, if, you're, if your impoverished class is larger than your middle class, you were on your way to becoming a third world economic country. Maybe not in forms of technology, but economically, if people can't afford things and you have to keep shelling out money as the government, you're going to go bankrupt because you can't afford to subsidize every citizen. It's impossible. Not especially if you're the fifth largest population in the entire world. So, you know, when Biden said that, I couldn't help but think, well, didn't we already discover that your tax plan would literally tax people? at 65 to 70% of their wages. You know, I mean, so, um, but honestly, so in the Trump administration, their tax plan actually benefited individual, actually benefited the lower, the, the, the low economic classes. And it, it also benefited um, African-Americans the most. Um, and here's how. You were given a tax. If you were single, you got an increase on tax. If you had children, you had increase on, on your taxes. 
right? The child tax, as it was commonly referred to and is commonly referred to. And there were a couple other things for, for individuals who are single and have children that they got increased on taxes for. A lot of people saw a lot of money back in their taxes, like $5,000 plus and they're used to getting on their taxes from the federal government. And a lot of these people are in the African-American community because the African-American single motherhood rate is at 70 plus percent. And that's by today's standards, that's per census bureau. So, but with Biden's plan, I don't understand how taxing people at 70%, at 62 to 70% is going to help them. You're taking more money from, they're trying to give that money all back later. But if you're not, if we're not going to see that money on a return, where's that money going? Right. They kind of segued after that into, um, you know, Trump was basically complaining that Obama left him a mess, which I don't know if Obama left him a mess. I mean, there were things going on in the world. I don't know if that's Obama's fault. I mean, he only gets two terms. Uh, so I don't know if they left him a mess. Um, but they kind of segued from that into uh, Medicare and Medicaid. And, you know, Ob- uh, Trump did say that, you know, well, Obama left me a mess in the medical field. You know, Obamacare was a disaster. And I will say for the record, Obamacare was not a disaster, um, at least in its initial forms. Obamacare was actually free. When it first came out, people don't remember this. When it first came out, I remember it because I was paying attention. It was free. Like you were going to the doctor for free. You didn't have to pay anything. If you met a certain uh, poverty line, you and your kids, free. Whatever doctor you want, free. Specialist, free. Surgery, free. It was free. Now through bipartisanship and being unable to uh, safely negotiate for the American people, our great leaders in the Congress and the Senate decided that that's not okay and ended up not being free anymore. And that's where the problem came in. So when Obama first rolled it out, it was free. Actually, the healthcare system was everything I wanted it to be. I could still keep my private insurance on my on my side and you could get your free insurance on your side, right? Now, the only thing that, we, that people didn't like was taxes were kind of going to get messed with to help, you know, you had to kind of pay certain hospitals and specialists and it, it, it was just cut. the taxes were going to get a little wonky, but overall you could have free healthcare. And I was kind of, I was actually okay with that. I'm not okay with most, uh, to, I'm not okay with most socialistic systems, but as long as the system makes sense and there's a plan and there's not a plan to just bankrupt us and this, you know, capture means of production by the state that I'm fine with it. And I was fine with that. Right. And because it didn't give it didn't give total control to the government. The government wasn't in the sole business of healthcare. They didn't they didn't completely capture the production of healthcare. They were still allowing privatized businesses to operate as they usually did, right? Um, but Biden mentioned that he would all that he also would like to mandate that uh, Medicare and Medicaid companies can negotiate with Big Pharma, which to me is actually really important. I think that. Um, a lot of comp. I think that big farmers out of control, and that that needs to be railed in. I think that there is a lot. Uh, you know, just over the past two years, medications have skyrocketed. I mean, just to get aspirin from a hospital could cost you thirty to forty bucks. I mean, seriously, not from like over the counter, not quite that much. But if you're in the hospital, I mean, getting medication from the hospital is incredibly expensive, and it really shouldn't be. It should be way more affordable. Um. You know, Biden did mention that it should be there should be a private system 
and there should be a, a people system like for people who can't afford it. Um, the only thing is that Biden did not articulate, you know, what would happen if you did not opt into uh, the health the healthcare option. So, you know, Biden made a statement, you know, we, we're going to have it for everybody and you can opt in. Well, what happens when you don't opt in? You know, if I don't opt in, does it mess with my taxes? Do I have to fill out a certain form? Do I have to really keep my private insurer? You know, how does this work? Like, where, where are we with this? And there's not really a plan for that. I kind of tried to look it up and there's not really a plan. <laughs> there's not really an answer to that question. So I'd be more curious to ask him, okay, so what about the people who don't opt in? Because some people don't want to go to government, uh, governmentized uh, healthcare. I would like me personally, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't go into, I wouldn't opt into that system. I would say I'm fine. I have my own insurance. I can keep my insurance. I don't need your insurance government. So what does that look like for me? What does that look like for that person? Um, you know, but Biden's whole thing was like, you know, hey, look, people do afford affordable health care. And I agree. I think people should be able to, uh, you know, have affordable health care. Now, I don't always know if affordability and accessibility always go together. So like for me, you know, I don't pay a lot in health care and my health care is OK. You know, like I have a doctor and like it's OK. Uh, I still pay like a thirty like a thirty dollar copayment, but I don't really go to the doctor that much. I mean, I'm like twenty. I'm twenty six. I mean, I don't need to go to the doctor that much, right? Um, I don't have any pre existing health conditions, and I don't I don't really need anything. <laughs> like I'm fine, right? My whole thing with the healthcare companies is you have issues where they they aren't really too receptive to pre-existing conditions. I think that's part of the problem. Also, it's part of the problem is, is that we stop giving tax breaks to businesses to offer health insurance. So, you know, and this is something that kind of happened during the Great Depression and then picked up a little more uh, in the uh, earlier to middle 90s, but then kind of started getting looked at as not a good thing um, because they stopped getting the, the tax breaks in like the early 2000s. And that was this businesses coming out of the Great Depression could not pay people higher wages, right? They were only offering so much in wages. So they weren't able to get into the whole wage, uh, wage spiral gap and uh, worker right negotiations because there's just no money. There's no money flowing. But we were trying to get money flowing. So we were trying to put people back to work. Well, the government said, look, uh, a big expense in people's lives is health care, right? For them, their kids, their dog, whatever have you. So. If you as a business offers your co offers your employees healthcare, we will the government, we the government will give you a huge tax break. And I think we should get back to that. I think that health insurance should fall more heavily into the private sector. I think it should fall more heavily into your job, uh, either on you privately. And but I mean, and listen, I'm I'm okay, like I said, with a small portion of government being able to really help those in need, people who don't have a job, people who can't work because maybe they're disabled, uh, those individuals who need the system as a safety net is fine with me. I'm okay with social safety nets. Like I said, as long as the government isn't capturing the means of production, I think we're fine. But I think that we should get back to that. And obviously, your health care is going to vary depending where you work. Like. You know, if you're working at McDonald's or Wendy's, your health care might not be as good as the surgeons working at a major hospital. Right. 
And I can understand that argument. And my argument to you is, are we trying to go for equity or equality? And that's always the argument when, when we talk about these types of things, these types of systems is, are you looking more for equity or equality? I'm looking more for equality. Do, does everyone have equal access to healthcare? I can't promise you equity because equity can never be truly obtained, but we can obtain equality. You can have an equal right to healthcare. I'm not telling you you're going to go to a million dollar doctor like your surgeon does. I'm not telling you you're going to go to a $10 doctor. What I'm saying is whatever your company can afford, then you can go to that doctor. Now, if you don't like the doctor or if you don't like the insurance or if you don't like what your company is doing, you have a right to get another job, right? Or you have a right as a collective to come together and bargain, collective bargaining, right? You know, but just yelling rabble, 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 feed me government isn't the way to do it. We actually have a lot of rights in this country as workers and citizens. Use them. If if your company is doing things you don't like, then you need to collectively bargain for something different. Um, and... You know, a lot of that, I think, really should fall back into the private sector. Um, And I think a lot of that really should fall back onto the privatized citizen, but still having that safety net. Well, after that, they kind of segued into um, immigration. Sorry about that. We're back. We kind of ran into some technical issues with the mic for a second. Uh, but as I was saying, they segued into uh, immigration policy, and I thought it was really funny. Uh, Trump used the word coyote a lot, and on social media, on social media, people literally thought that the animal, like a coyote, the animal, was bringing children from Mexico into the United States. <laughs> like, and they weren't even being sarcastic. It was the best thing ever. I was in so many different uh, little chat rooms and groups, and I'm like, you, I'm like, do you really think it's an animal? It, like they were being, I and I, it took me like six messages to to actually understand that, like, no, this person is being serious. So like, I I would just start like posting YouTube videos and like articles, like explaining, like it's a colloquial term, like like a smuggler isn't a coyote, like a, a smuggler would be the colloquial term somebody who has kidnapped you and forced you across the border a coyote or a coyote is somebody who assists you because you're willingly going across the border right so i just i thought that was really really funny i had to i really had to mention that um a couple people really like act like literally asked though like i had a there was a young man in one of the podcasting groups i'm in and he he sent me a private message, and he was like, "Dude, what's a coyote? Like, I don't I don't I don't know what it is." He's like, "I'm not big in the politics, so I don't know what it is." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool. Here it is." But some people who were like talking about the immigration policy and talking about uh, the quote unquote smugglers, I'm like, "You're talking about this, and you don't know what a coyote is? Like, how does that make any sense? What? Like, are you kidding me?" That's like talking about civil rights, but you don't know what the sixty-four Civil Rights Act is. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it, it was, it was, it was absolutely baffling. Uh, it was also very, very funny. Um, Trump did make sure to keep capitalizing though on that in twenty fourteen, uh, 
Obama did start family separation and did build the detainment centers we have today. And that he was on, he actually was, or not Obama, but those facilities were actually in New York Times in 2016 on the cover in, I think it was 2016, 15, maybe. But they're on the cover of New York Times. It was literally a, a kid behind bars just looking up at the camera all sad. And New York Times like, what are you doing? You guys built cages to put these people in? You know what I mean? And I, I think it is worth noted, there's worth noting that when the Republicans in 2020 gave up on the wall idea, the, the wall was a lost cause. We, we, the Republicans were never going to get the wall. It was a lost argument. The president realized that as well. So when they asked for that money to be reallocated, it was like some like 10, I think it was several billion dollars to be reallocated and refunneled into turning the detention facilities into almost like hotel-like um, facilities where, yes, people are still detained because they still need to get socials. They still need to get, uh, they still need to have, you know, I think, I think, I think the government takes responsibility of teaching them basic English. Um, I think that the government had a responsibility of finding, you know, these people jobs, but that, that's getting on to my, how I think the reform should be, but how they were there and do is they were going to build uh, hotel like facilities. And these facilities were going to be, you know, with internet and translators and um, lawyers and social workers and tobacco. It's going to be like living at home. And the Democrats ended up shutting it down. And they were basically like, no, we're not going to do that. And I was baffled at the time when I had heard that. I was really baffled. I, I said, well, what do you mean we're not going to do that? Like, why not? Why, why wouldn't we do that? Don't we owe it to these people? Don't we owe it to these individuals to help them? And I mean, personally, for me, for me, if I, if I did it, I would do it that way. And I would say the government has responsibility to detain these individuals keep them detained and but you have to help them like you have to give them socials you need to give you need to find them an area where they might have family and place them in affordable housing give them a job help them get a vehicle even show them how our system works because america is complicated look i didn't know how to do taxes until i was like 25 like it's complicated around here there's a lot going on in america and if you weren't raised in our system, if you don't understand our system, especially if you don't speak the language, you can't succeed here. I, I don't care what anybody says. It is extremely hard to succeed here um, if you aren't uh, privy to what's going on, right? Uh, now, I know they talked about deportations, and uh, Trump actually very well capitalized on, well, didn't they call Obama the deporter-in-chief, which is true. Obama, to this day, has actually deported um, more immigrants than any other president in history. And I think that's a very important to note that that administration, um, they, you know, they, they, they did deport a lot of people. And I think it's important to take note of that, that when Joe Biden's talking about how awful this is and, you know, how terrible this is, that 
Well, in your administration, administration, you were the second most powerful person and more people were deported than any other administration in history. You were in the position to say this isn't right and you did not do that because you're a suit. You're a suit. You just go with whatever. And then now you're just a, now you're just pandering to a base. And that's kind of where I was with watching, you know, I'm like, yeah, Trump deports people. Trump knows it and he owns it. You, Biden, were privy to the deporter in chief in or privy and didn't speak up. You didn't say it was wrong. You stood by. You're a bystander, which is honestly worse. It's spineless. So, you know, Biden's whole points about immigration kind of went over my head because all I could really think about was the hypocrisy. But after that, they segued into uh, talks of police and racism, which I'm just going to start off by saying this can be unpopular. and I don't really care what you you think. Um, The way the moderator introduced that state introduced that 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 uh, segment was completely disgusting. First of all, the talk, right, quote unquote, the talk is not a time when parents talk to their children about being racially profiled as police. Look, we need to start calling out the media on this. It is incredibly dangerous to paint an entire group of people as racist. You're basically what's going on is the media is painting an entire profession as racist. They're saying, well, you know. The talk is to talk about how the police, right, the whole of police are racist and that they will profile you. Okay. Am I saying that there's no racist police officers? No, that's stupid. Of course there's racist police officers. There's also racist doctors. There's racist burger flippers. There's racist mechanics. There's racist everybody. There's a racist person probably in every profession. Am I saying that by and large that our criminal justice system is racist? No. What people probably experience is intra-personal racism or discrimination. But do I think that when police officers sign up, they're like, hmm, I wonder how many black and brown people I can arrest today. No, 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 no one's saying that. That's completely ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion. And it's aggravating to have to sit here and hear. It's completely disgusting. I really wish that more people would call it out. And a lot of people I listen to, uh, such as Brandon Tatum, such as... Uh, Candace Owens, call out individuals, you know, Dave Rubin, call out the media for doing this. Tim Pool, I'm going to keep listing names, sorry, because it's disgusting to say that. No, the talk is something that everybody has, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're whatever, Chinese, I don't care. Everybody gets to talk. The talk is basically, look, dude, the cops are pulling you over. Pull your hands at 10 and 2. Know where your wallet is. Know where your insurance is. When they ask you, tell them where it is. And then ask if you can reach for it. it. Does it suck it has to be that way? Yes, it does. You know what also sucks? That every day on my Facebook timeline, I get to look at an end of watch uh, memorial because an officer just got shot. So when people say that officers are overly worried or overly concerned, I call bullshit. Police officers are dying every day. And if you don't believe me, look it up. There, is a, there are websites that track this. You can look up every name and death of an officer per date, by the date. Officers are dying almost daily, weekly, 
and they're dying on traffic stops. They're dying on domestic uh, responses. So I don't want to hear about how, well, the police are, are being too scared. No, the police are being reasonable. Stop digging in your seats. What are you looking for? Were you asked to go look for that? Because, you know, as a police officer, I've had it where people are digging around in, in their center console. I shine my flashlight. There's a gun in there, too. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Stop. No, I, I don't go doing all types of crazy stuff to them. But it's like, that's dangerous. You're digging around in there. There's a gun in there. I don't know you. I don't know what you got going on. I don't know if you're wanted for some type of severe crime. I don't know what you think about the police. Maybe it's time. Maybe you're on some time to kill a cop day. I don't know. But I do know this. It's not about racism, right? The talk is not about racism. That's a separate conversation. The talk is about how to conduct yourself with law enforcement, right? The same way if my child went to court, I would say, here's the talk for how you don't get your ass thrown in jail because you're smart off to the judge. I probably wouldn't do that. The same if you go to the doctor, I would tell my son, listen, man, you go to the doctor, here's how you need to conduct yourself. There's literally a talk for a bunch of different things, right? There's a way to deal with certain professions. There's a way to deal with certain situations. So the talk being fundamentally about the police being racist and discriminatory is completely ridiculous, completely disgusting, and I just and I completely disagreed with it. And it was something I had to mention because it really was a pet peeve. Now Biden did touch on institutional generational racism, which I you know I agree with that. That's fine. Um, I can accept the fact that the multiple generations, excuse me, the multiple generations, um, there is a long lasting impact on mental health and on. Uh, economics and wealth and on education that would need to, that are hard to break. Um, you know, and it stems back to when my great grandmother was a child and, you know, you, you go to jail or my grandfather was a child, good jail for looking at a black man or looking at or a black man, good jail for looking at a white woman. Right. We go all the way back to that time. I can understand. Um, so, you know, Joe Biden, you didn't really lose me on that one. Uh, I think me, I think me and Biden actually had a bunch of middle ground, and Trump really didn't say too much either. Um, and I don't, I don't, I think that was kind of smart of him. It would look bad if he. I mean, what should I really disagree with? You know, I mean, there's really nothing to disagree with. So, um, but Trump did hit pretty hard on the 1994 crime bill, and the fact that Biden was calling black men super predators. And you know, the thing about this is this. I don't want to hear anything about racism on the Trump camp until we accept the fact that the 1994 crime bill and the war on drugs was a complete disaster that destroyed, destroyed the black community. Imprisoning black men, most of the time for small amounts of marijuana, but they're repeat offenders with the marijuana. So it'd make them felons. Let's follow this logic. I'm going to take everybody down a little rabbit hole, right? It'd make them felons, okay? So when they get out of jail... Where are they going to work? You're a felon. Where are you going to work? Up until recently, no college would even look at you with a felony record. Goodbye. Good luck getting an education. No upward mobility. You can't work. You can't get an education. Uh, most housing will not allow felons to live to live in their apartment complexes or to rent their residences. Where are you going to live? This is why felons are usually released to the confines of a family member. One, so your PO can check on you. Two, you have nowhere to live. You're a felon. No one wants you around. That's kind of what society is saying. 
So we were arresting black men at an extremely high rate for marijuana charges, calling them super predators. Dear God, for some leafy green substance, this isn't really hurting anybody. And then destroying their lives by having felony records. And then on top of that, Biden, who was in who was very much involved in government at the time of the crime bill, and at the time it was actually his bill, and at the time of the war on drugs, said nothing when we were disproportionately targeting black communities, disproportionately imprisoning uh, black men into jails longer than white counterparts for the exact same crime, the exact same records, but then also didn't say anything when the federal government was forcing black single mothers to marry the state by promising them free money, free housing, but then also putting restrictions like, well, if you're going to live here, you can't work more than 15 hours this week. what, What? Section 8 housing was the biggest disaster in public housing in American history, and it, and it predominantly and almost strictly targeted the African-American community. And it was a damn shame that Joe Biden back then didn't stand on the same morals he does now. That's all I'm saying. So when I hear about racism and I hear about the Trump camp is so racist, okay, cool. Well, the well, okay, cool. Well, Biden stood by idly and didn't speak up. And you can go back and look at his records there's never said anything against it up until up until the Obama administration about how we destroyed generations of black families and destroyed generations of black education, black wealth in this country by the war on drugs and the 94 crime bill. So until we can realize that as a country and until we can realize that he did that and until he can come out and talk about that openly, he will never be my president. Because I can't accept a president that cannot at least say, dude, yeah, and I was wrong for it. And I didn't know any better, and I've grown since. No, he doesn't even want to talk about it. Well, I'm sorry, Joe. That's not really what you get to do. You stood by idly and didn't even stay on the same morals you do today while your counterparts in bipartisanship, I'm blaming both sides, completely annihilated the African-American community through the war on drugs. And by making these black men into felons, which then made them into repeat offenders, which then continued the cycle of violence in the neighborhoods and in the households of having constant police presence, right? Which then made it to where that the other parent who wanted to be in the child's life could not have the upper mobility to launch their family into these middle class to give that child a chance, thus creating the school-to-jail pipeline. Joe Biden stood by idly while that pipeline was created and did nothing and said nothing to destroy it, but now he stands on the moral high ground of the broken backs of the black community after annihilating them with the war on drugs and 94 crime bill. I think not Joe Biden. I think not Democratic voters who tell me to overlook that. I've been told that before. I've been told it again. And I will not do it. I will not allow a presidential candidate who has built his legacy on the broken backs of black men who are still in jail to this day for small amounts of marijuana and cocaine to be my president. And he can't acknowledge that that's something that we as a nation need to address and as uncomfortable as it might be, need to fix. That's all I'm saying. Those black men are owed their lives back. And until you can give them their life back, Joe Biden, or at least admit that you did wrong taking it from them or being a bystander as it happened, I cannot vote for you. I cannot vote for you. 
And trust me, Trump has some things I can't vote for him either, which is why I'm not going to think about who I'm voting for. But after the election, you will know. But Trump has done things in his past, too, that I feel just as passionately about that I think are equally as disgusting. Um, but we didn't talk about that last night because you didn't bring it up. <laughs> so moving forward. Um, now, I know that Biden wants to change the system so that people with drug issues don't go to jail. Um, he said, you know, basically they're mentally ill. Trump stated, why didn't he do that um, years ago when he was vice president? Once again, Joe Biden, I agree. Listen, if you woke up yesterday and had some newfound moral system, dude, please say that. But let's not act like you've thought this way since you were 10. You have not. You have not. When, Like I said before, when we were locking up black men in these neighborhoods for being on drugs, for being hooked on cocaine, for being addicted to crack, for p- possessing marijuana, ooh, where was that attitude? They're not criminals. They're ill. Right? We don't imprison our mentally ill. At least we shouldn't. We should help them. Right? Where was that attitude then? So I think Trump did land a punch. I know I know. I said, yeah, I don't think there's any punches that were landed. I actually think Trump did land a punch. That was a pretty heavy one, to be exact. Because um, I do. I agree with Trump. Where was that attitude then? And where's that attitude now? We need to be able to identify the issues in our criminal justice system and then attack them. The police, in my personal opinion, is not the biggest issue in our criminal justice system. The biggest issue in our criminal justice system is the fact that you have a school-to-jail pipeline, and in that school-to-jail pipeline, the court system operates on money. Whoever has the most money can get away with the most uh, crime, and that's not okay. So pushing on. Uh, President Trump stated that the first time he ever heard of Black Lives Matter, I thought this was interesting, and not a lot of people were talking about this, but the first thing he thought of Black Lives Matter is when they were chanting, pigs in a blanket, fry them. And he thought it was horrible, which is what he said. And the sentiment, you know, honestly, the, the sentiment is not uncommon. Um, You know, a lot of people didn't hear of Black Lives Matter until things started getting broken and cities were starting to burn and, you know, heavy anti-police sentiment. The first time uh, I know I, I spoke with a young man, the first time he ever heard of Black Lives Matter is when they chanted dismantle police. And I don't let people forget that the first before we went to defund, it was dismantle to completely abolish the police system in this country. So a lot of people approached me and said, what about this radical group? I'm like, listen, they're not that radical. What they're saying is wild, but they're not radical. They're just saying some real wild shit for a second. You know, but <laughs> they're they're not radical. But that's honestly most people's first experience was, whoa, what are these people doing? There's all oh, this stuff on fire and it's scary and Fox News just said that. And then now people are like, radical extremists. No, they're <laughs> they're not radical extremists. It's just that you only heard of them while seeing a radical event. There's a difference, right? So I thought that was really interesting. Um and then you know, the kind of, it, it was very uh, interesting to kind of see how the debate kind of played after that. Um, and a lot of what, well, Joe Biden kind of came back and said, you know, well, what about when, 
you know, called, you know, Trump a racist immediately after that, which I think is really unprofessional. I mean, look, you can think whatever you want about the man. Uh, you're a presidential candidate on a debate stage. Don't use the word racist at him. Don't tell him, well, Trump, you're a racist. No, Trump, you're racially insensitive. And I don't think you understand the complexities of the African-American neighborhood or the Hispanic neighborhoods in which you pertain to know about. That would have been a way more professional way of stating it. You just can't scream racist across the debate stage and think that I, I'm going to be like, yeah. No, I'm like, okay, Joe, how? <laughs> Please tell us how he's racist. <laughs> like, I want you to tell me. Just don't scream racist at him and then be done with it. No. You know, but Joe Biden did get to the point where he said, you know, look, well, you know, you basically told the athletes to shut up and dribble, which, uh, you know, I have heard a lot of that. Um, you know, I don't really care what people like LeBron James are saying. I mean, I, I what he says is sometimes interesting. I think what he says is also sometimes real wild. But, you know, I mean, they have a right to their freedom of speech. Do I think that they should do it on the on the on the playing field? No, I wish you would just. Yes, shut up and dribble. I want to watch basketball. I want to watch a football game. I don't want to watch another BLM rally in the middle of this football game. I don't I don't care whose name you have on your jersey because you just got sacked and can't even catch the ball. Listen, <laughs> I don't care whose name is on your jersey. As a matter of fact, I don't care if you show support. And I just actually had a – and I actually had a conversation with with another lady, and I said, "Look, you, all you athletes, what are you doing? You put a name on your jersey, cool. How much money have you given to the black community? How much money have you given to the Black Caucus, the NAACP? How much money have you given to um, how much money have you given to black-owned businesses in your local area? How much money have you given to black historical colleges? How much money have you donated to help inner-city black students go to?" Uh, private universities and private schools. How much money have you donated where it counts? Because what a single mother living in the middle of low-income neighborhoods doesn't need is a black square or a face mask with BLM on it or, you know, you to wear some somebody's name on a jersey. The single mom who's working three jobs seven days a week with four sons and is struggling to keep up with them because one's in jail, one's getting into another fist fight, one just failed math class, and the other one's just trying to make it out of the out of poverty. What she doesn't need is a black square. What she doesn't need is you to put Rayshad Brooks on your jersey. What she needs is some damn support and some help, and to under and for a system to hopefully help with. Her current situation, and I, I and I realize in this podcast, I've been pretty passionate right now about uh, the issues in the black community and the targeting of black men, and it's because I am because it's been wrong, and I think that there's a lot of people in this country right now with a lot of hypocrisy behind them, and there's a lot of people who are doing things because it's trendy, but what's not trendy is giving money. That's hard. It's hard to give. Give something of monetary value. Give something of possession or wealth. That's hard. That's not trendy. It's trendy to type on Facebook your opinion. It's trendy to wear a Black Lives Matter uh, t-shirt. It's trendy to yell, you know, all cops are bad using obviously another word. It's trendy 
to, you know, hold up the black, to have the black power fist hoodie on. But it ain't trendy to give money. It ain't trendy to go into these low, to go in these high crime, impoverished neighborhoods and really look at where some of these people are living and really look at some of the issues they have coming forth and then really look at where some of these children are ending up. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. That's not okay. But it's easy to blame the police. It's easy to blame the system. But it's hard. It's hard to go in and look at the mom who can't read but still works three jobs and her sons aren't able to go to a university because she can't afford it and their grades aren't good enough to get scholarships because their school is underfunded because it got defunded, right? The word defunding once again has come up where the government sat there and defunded inner city black schools because the test scores weren't being met while also not giving them the tools necessary to help these black children succeed, but you want to defund them. So it's hard to sit here as a black man and watch these black athletes prance, prance around these football fields and on these courts with these names on their t-shirts screaming in the police brutality while I'm over here screaming, let's end poverty in black neighborhoods. Let's end fatherless households. Let's end the cycle of violence. Let's end the school to jail pipeline. Let's end these workless neighborhoods. But the police are the problem. Right? That's what they're going to tell you. And and to me, it's completely ridiculous. And that's my two cents on that. Um, Biden stated that the that the federal government has failed to set up drug courts, even though he advocated it um, for every state to have a drug court to offer drug offenders rehabilitation. Well, Joe, of course, you failed in doing that because what's weird is that we already do that. <laughs> A very simple Google search told me that. I'm surprised your team didn't do one. Um, most states and most major cities around the country actually have drug court. And it's for offenders who uh, commit drug-related crimes, not people who are to be, uh, you know, I guess I'll use layman terms. If you're dealing or selling it, you're not going to get in. Like if you're slanging drugs, you ain't getting in, man. Because that's a different type of crime. That's called That's a victim crime. And I agree. The victim is society. You have you have damaged the neighborhood. You've damaged society. But if you're an addict and you're using and you're consuming, you know you can go to drug court. They'll put you in a facility. They'll try to help you kick your habit with uh, methadone and other type of um, drug replacements. They'll help you with therapy. But you actually have to go, and you actually have to uh, do your best to stay in drug court and a lot of people actually have success with it but for right now that's kind of all i'm going to say about the presidential debate i know a lot of it was me kind of uh having to get at him but um you know i thought the debate went really well i thought the debate was uh very much articulable i think that both candidates said what they wanted to say and I think that both candidates showed a lot more respect. I definitely found myself agreeing with Biden more than I thought. Not really even agreeing. I found more middle ground with Biden than I thought. And I was really pleased with that. So that's kind of my thoughts. All right, everybody. Thank you for staying tuned for staying tuned for this episode today. Uh, I know I got a little passionate. I got a little spicy on the mic. Um, so 
Hopefully, I didn't offend anybody too much, but if I did, hopefully you feel comfortable enough. I know a lot of people have to message me and challenge me, challenge my way of thinking, challenge what I said. Uh, give me some new facts. Give me some new um, new information. Um, but I'm pretty positive the things I said, especially in the black community and about the things that are affecting us are pretty accurate um, if you really go and look into it. But overall, I am very, very pleased that um, the election went very or the debate went very well. I'm excited to see the, ele- the election results. I'm very, very excited to cover that. I'm going to wait, right? So the election's going to happen, and I'm going to wait about a week. I want to see the election happening. I want to see what the media says, and then I want to see kind of the social aftermath of the election. And then I'll release a podcast. So if you guys want to hear from me, the night of or after the election, that's because I'm waiting. I'm waiting a little bit. I'm waiting to see kind of what happens. Um, so I really do thank everybody for uh, joining me in this episode and listening. If you listen to the whole thing, thank you very much. Um, I really hope that you guys really look in though to all the candidates, especially the libertarian candidate, whom I personally like a lot. Um and I think the libertarian candidate is actually, I think she's actually very good. But she didn't get on the debate stage, which, you know, I have problems with, but it is what it is. Overall, thank you guys for staying tuned, though. And I hope you guys come back. I'm getting a lot more repeat listeners. I've noticed the numbers on repeat listeners going up. That actually makes me very, very happy. So thank you for coming back. Um, don't forget um, to check out the Medium articles released by Robert Baer. Uh, you can find him on my Facebook, and you can also find those articles on my Facebook. We are in those articles. I've been in three political podcasting articles, um, so I'm very glad. I'm very glad and excited I was able to be a part of that. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming on. Don't forget in the months of November and December. And once again, please like, share, subscribe to this podcast. And as always, feel free to follow the link tree. To get to go to all the other websites my podcast is being offered, leave me a review. I love reading your guys' reviews. And I'm actually, in this episode at the end, going to insert uh, two reviews from two individuals who sent me their audio reviews. They sent me, they sent them to me on Anchor. And I told them I'd play them uh, in this episode. So I'm going to. I'm going to play them at the end of the episode. So for those of you who... Uh, want to send me audio, I, I will always play your audio in the episodes. I, I, I've uh, come to notice that people seem to like seeing, sending audio messages sometimes. So if you review and you want to send audio to me on uh, Anchor, I'm putting in the podcast for the whole world to hear your lovely voices just as well as mine. So thank you and have a nice day. Remember, it's still COVID season. Wear your mask. Hey, man, just want to say to your interview with Zach and Brandon on the Say What Needs Saying podcast. They're two good friends of mine that have actually been on my podcast, and I've been on theirs a few times. Um, but I, I like, you know, what you and the other officer had to say. You've got definitely got yourself a new listener, and I look forward to seeing or excuse me, <laughs> listening to more of what you have to say and opinions on everything. So you've helped show me that I was probably over editing some of my content. I really appreciate what you've had to say. You kept it balanced. 
didn't go too far saying Kamala was the greatest thing since sliced bread, didn't go too far saying that Mike Pence is better than the discovery of penicillin. And I've really been, there's just been a lack of centrist voices. And I, I like how you kept a balance. I saw flaws in both candidates. I saw good things in both candidates and you managed to highlight that appropriately. Keep up the great work.